Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I'm your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm at the German Short-Haired Pointer Club of America National Specialty today in Boise, Idaho, and I have some wonderful breeder and exhibitor and trainer and all kinds of great guys that are going to talk to us about just short hairs as pets, as companions, as show dogs, hunting dogs, agility dogs, all those kind of things. So thank you. I appreciate Char, Bob, Dave, our videographer, Brenda. (laughs) Yay, Brenda's our favorite person. So everybody, let's do this real quick. Brief introduction, number of years in the breed, kind of what made you fall in love with short hairs in the first place? And we'll start with Char. Okay, my name is Charlene Rutar. Everybody calls me Char, kennel name White River. Been in short hairs about 36 years. My husband chose the breed originally because he's a bird hunter. <laughs> and after we acquired them is when I fell in love with them and found that I could enjoy this working with them as well in first the show ring and then also the field and the AKC hunt tests. And that has evolved into exhibiting successfully and now judging. And I am right. a sporting group judge. So that's wonderful. Me. Excellent. Yeah. Mr. Bob Strait. I'm Bob Strait. Been involved with short hairs for 30 years. Originally, our first short hair was associated with we falconers. Mm, very and cool. Use very a cool. short hair is an outstanding, versatile hunting dog, which is what sold us on that as a viable dog for our purposes. And we graduated into confirmation, American field, AKC field trials, and have enjoyed the sport and the breed. Excellent. Mr. Nauer. Yes, I grew up in Michigan, and my father had a short hair before I was born. So I grew up with the breed in my household. (laughs) Yes, I I remember with great delight turning 14 and being able to get a hunting license to go out and hunt short hairs. I then married Karen, who is a second-generation dog show confirmation junior-type person, and was introduced to competitive sports with short hairs. And so I've been doing that since the 80s. Very good. I am an AKC agility judge, and I've been judging about 15 years in agility. Nice. Okay, so a lot of breadth, a lot of depth of experience here. And so what we want to talk to people about is what's it like to live with a short hair? What are you looking for when you get a short hair pointer? And who makes a great short hair pointer owner? And who does not? So, Char, we're going to start with you. Short hairs, even in their standard, are described as energetic and athletic. If you just look at them, they are full of muscle and full of vim and vigor. That's a good thing if you have a little bit of room, some way that you can burn that energy off. And if you do a good job, and this is every day, not just Saturday and Sunday, (laughs) 
every day, rain, shine, etc. If you can burn the energy off, they make as good a couch potato as any dog. Mm -hmm. We did move to a farm shortly after (laughs) we got heavily into the dogs, and that has helped. Having a little space. Bob, your thoughts? I think it's an important distinction that the people who get short hairs need to be aware of how they're going to enjoy their life with a short hair. They can be used for competitive purposes, and if you have a competitive bent, then you need to make sure you get a short hair that will fit that. If you want them as a pet, as Char said, you still need to be able to provide them an environment that will work off that energy. Otherwise, your furniture will become dust, (laughs) and it is not a comfortable environment for everybody. So the most important thing we ever stress on prospective buyers is that the dog will be going to home in the right environment, whether it be competitive or a pet but they all need to be aware of the high energy level the short hairs exhibit. Absolutely. Dick? So kind of echo both of those comments. Right. High energy, you need to have some way to vent that energy out, be it going out on jogs or doing hunting or right. doing something active. You know, obviously we do agility. Agility. And that's why I was just going to mention, you know, not everybody necessarily wants to have a short hair pointer as a hunting dog. So agility, and you could talk about some of the other companion events that they, I would assume, oh, are good. very good yeah. at. Dock diving. diving. Dock, <laughs> yep. Dock diving has become very popular. Mm-hmm. Scent work. You find even German short hair pointers like at your airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doing with TSA. Yeah. yeah, with TSA and oh, stuff. Yeah, They're one of the popular breeds for that. Tracking, agility. There's a lot of things. And then, you know, in the field, the right. hunt testing and field yeah. trials, that very active. Absolutely. And confirmation, I'll always remember I went to a seminar, a high-level agility seminar, and they asked the seminar giver what was their standard for an agility dog. Mm -hmm. They said structure. Give me a dog with structure. And so if you're going to do active sports with your dog, I don't care if it's confirmation. You give me the pick confirmation dog, that's my pick agility dog, too. I want that structure. Absolutely true. We should say, I mean, the breed is designed, German engineered, if you will, <laughs> absolutely for versatility, ultimate versatility. Yes. Therefore, even though you look at them and people think hunting dogs, right? oh no, no, that you do not have to hunt a German <laughs> short hair. You just have to give it a job, right? And I don't want to scare people and think that no. they're buying a maniac. When, you know, we've all, we've all said high energy. Right. And well, that's because they're wonderfully muscled and wonderfully right. built to work in their chosen field for a long time with tremendous endurance. So they're not necessarily all crazy, but they do need a lot of exercise. Right. You wouldn't want to use a pejorative. I don't think the breed is crazy. Oh, no, no. You know, Smart. I think high drive, high energy, stubborn. Some are more biddable than others. Yeah, and I think biddability is a key factor that breeders strive for overall. Absolutely. And the Germans strive for in designing the breed, biddability. So so training's important. And the training leads from biddability, and we've always felt that it's very important for prospective buyers to have an opportunity to look at a puppy's parents. Yeah. Because all too often you may look at a puppy and, well, this is great, but you don't see what the parent's background is relevant to where that puppy could be when it grows up. You may find yourself being surprised down the road a bit. We stress breeding for temperament. 
whether you're in a confirmation competitive environment or a field trial competitive environment, if you don't have a dog with the type of temperament that everybody can interact with positively, you're going to find yourself frustrated and angry, and we don't want to see any prospective home have themselves in that kind of an environment with a dog. Talk to us a little bit. We're going to move on here in half a second, but just in terms of living with them, talk to the sensibility that I have for my interaction with them that the short hair is a dog that is happy to have you join it on its hunting expedition, but it doesn't necessarily require it. <laughs> How would you relate to that? I'm going to disagree with that a okay. little bit. Okay. I think that they are extremely, extremely people-oriented. Okay. I mean, that's part of the package. Mm-hmm. That's part of the biddability. Okay. And that's part of the hook why the three of us are sitting here. Right. We might like the way they look. We might like the way they work. But I really think that it is their temperament and personality that has us head over heels. Okay. So, no, I do not find them. There are differences in bloodlines. Right. I know that. Right. I understand right. that. The one that I grew up there with came are, from Germany. There <laughs> are differences in bloodlines, but I yeah. do not find them okay. stubborn or terribly independent. Okay. Not as needy as some of the other continental pointing mm-hmm. breeds, mm-hmm. but they can hang by themselves pretty right. well. But they would rather be with people. Rather be with their person. But I'd like to take that one step further to the extent if you're with a hunting dog, you want that dog to feel confident to accomplish what he was bred to do. I'm an AKC field trial and hunt test judge. And right. All too often I would see beginners bring a dog to the line and start talking to the dog right away. Well, not to overstate it, but that dog thinks you're God. And when you start talking, it wants to come back and find out what you're telling them. (laughs) If you give the dog the opportunity to go out and explore on its own, as he gains confidence and he responds to you when you want him to respond to you, then you've got the best of both worlds. The dog will exhibit the confidence to do what it's comfortable in and what you want it to do. And yet with good temperament, he will respond to your directions and come back under your control. So it's this combination of confidence, temperament, and your interaction with the dog. That's good. Thoughts on that, Dave? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the key there is confidence and building confidence and making sure that you have a regimen that you can build those skills out because the instinct is there. Right. And that's the key. That's one of the great things about the breed. You know, different lines have right. different right. skill levels and, mm-hmm. and instincts, but mm-hmm. for the most part, the breed's got it all there. Well, and I think that was the next step I wanted to go to and talk to folks who are looking for a hunting dog. And so let's talk about what type of hunting dog you're getting when you get a short-haired pointer. You're getting a continental versatile hunting dog. You're not getting an English setter, but you're also not getting a wire-haired pointer. Right, So there are distinctions in here. So I would like to have an opportunity to share with people, you're getting a pointing dog, but you're also getting a dog that retrieves in the water, that retrieves at all. <laughs> right? Retrieves so in no matter what. Exactly. <laughs> so let's kind of hash that out a bit. Let's talk about what it's like to go hunting with a short hair. Well, it can be exciting. It can be frustrating. It can be all of the above when it comes to any dog you have out in the field. The interaction you have with a short hair is they are a people-oriented dog, and they want to please you. And in any event, to carry the point further, as a hunting dog, it is a versatile hunting dog, and they're going to work with you in the proper training and the interaction. We encourage anybody that's going to hunt with a dog 
to train it themselves as much as possible or interact with a professional in the training of that dog and then move forward. But it's a blast to watch. If I had half the energy those short hairs exhibit in the field, I'd control the world. Absolutely. We'd be Superman. What's your thoughts on that? I think being out in the field with a German short hair is a beautiful thing. Mm There are differences in the lines. I don't want to stereotype, but, you know, we do have dogs bred more for confirmation and dogs bred more for the field. Mm -hmm. And I understand and respect that the field breeders are coming from a different place and they're prizing some different qualities. So So as a buyer, you should talk to the person, talk to the breeder, find out what's important to them. Yes. Yes. Find out what makes the breeder tick yes, and why the breeder has German short hairs. Yes. And you'll find an awful lot out about the kind of dog that they breed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I breed for confirmation and my husband prefers hunting with what hunters refer to as a meat dog, right. which is a dog that's working fairly close. Mm-hmm. I mean, within sight, usually, right. depending on the terrain. But still out and doing its job with the confidence that these guys described. And then, you know, the teamwork and the bond is something very, very special and very productive. Right. A good bird dog makes for a much more pleasant day in the field. Yes. (laughs) And yet, having said that, you don't have to hunt with an ugly dog. No, you do not. And you nailed it. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) And the other point relevant to the earlier comment about structure is that Proper structure facilitates the dog's endurance and its ability to live a long, useful life. I've seen dogs with structure that's a little marginal. On the other hand, short-haired dogs have as big a heart as you can imagine. Yeah, they'll go on. And and they'll go on and on and on. Will they live to 15, 16 years of age? Probably not. They'll have a breakdown of some sort. But their heart and their desire to please is so strong that they'll just keep on chugging away. And it's very important to try and combine temperament, ability, the nose, and structure to create the package that will be with you for a much longer period of time. Excellent. That's great, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. And that applies in agility and other companion events, too, doesn't it, Dave? Absolutely. one that brought it up mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just a key thing. And, you know, the bitability is important because in some of these sports, like if you want to go out and do, for example, one of the venues, mm-hmm. uh, AKC tracking, for mm-hmm. example, you're kind of asking your dog to go out into a field and do a different job than their necessarily instinct is driving them toward right Right. and so that bitability in terms of teaching them what you want them to be doing and looking for it helps a great deal for say tracking a human's footsteps like you do in akc tracking to have that temperament and that bitability and your short hairs have that they do for the most part absolutely and i think that Um, I think that one of the things that we were talking earlier about interviewing your breeder, like find out what makes your breeder tick. So when you're looking to develop a relationship with a breeder, and we always encourage that, people that are buying a new purebred dog, go find a responsible preservation breeder, find someone who is in it for the long haul, 
who does the health testing. We're going to get to that next. But we talked about everything from a meat dog to a field trial dog. So explain for people who maybe don't understand. A meat dog is ranging maybe 75 yards, maybe 100 yards. It's working with the walking hunter. To the walking handler. uh, And they're out there to put dinner on the table. Exactly. That's where the meat dog uh, phrase comes from. So they're working as close or as far as they need to work to find the game. Generally not out of sight. The field trial sport is a thrill beyond, and I've been to many trials, and I get it. Mm -hmm. And Bob can talk more about that because he's handled dogs in that venue. But, you know, to have a dog three hilltops out that's a speck in the distance that's still under your control and doing its job is quite a rush. I'm getting goosebumps because it's a game I love, too. There's a strong distinction in the field trial world between an all-age dog, Correct. which exhibits the maximum amount of independence, and it will still be somewhat responsive to you. Generally, field trials, which originally were all foot-handled, gravitated to horseback-handled because the pros who were taking dogs in the foot said, after four or five braces, I'm tired of this. <laughs> Let's find another venue. And that's how horses got involved. The horses led for dogs are run out a lot further because of the independence you can exhibit with the horse. And the dog. They can see you further. They can see you further. But having said that, an all age dog is one component of field trial. Then you have shooting dogs. Then you have gun dogs. And gun dogs are generally what can lead into what. Char is referred to as a meat dog. It's not a derogatory term. It's oh, no. a meat dog is a dog that is there to help you in your day-to-day hunting setup, wherever you are. Having said that, topography and terrain and general area of hunting also have to be taken into consideration because people that hunt with their dogs in the West are going to see a need for a lot bigger ranging oh, dog so, yep. than people in the Midwest or the Far East where it's a different type of game that you're hunting. Having said that, Field trial dogs are bred to a, not a higher standard, but they stress the ability to scent, retrieve the hunting skills that are pushed more and more than, say, a dog that is bred strictly for, say, a hunt test or a confirmation. But the field trial dogs are the bloodlines for a lot of the best hunting dogs you're going to have. And people on one side of the equation say, well, field trial dogs just range too far. And they will for certain types of environment. But I've had an all-age dog that could be gone for 30, 40 minutes, go to a gun club and walk with me in a pheasant club, and it's not going out more than 100 yards. And so that is where I always think it's about the dog knows the game. And that goes back to your good ability. And when you're looking for your puppy, a dog that is versatile, that comes from a pedigree that does a lot of things, right? Wouldn't you? Would be my thought on that, Dave. No, that's right. Yeah. I think the best dogs are the ones that can do exactly what you're talking about, can go out and recognize they're at a field trial and go out and do that range. Because that's that game. And then recognize when they're in the on-foot hunting type thing. And those are the same kinds of temperaments and intelligence that allows them then to transfer that into some of these games like agility and all that kind of stuff, which... Really, nobody was specifically bred for that, right? That's more of a training and short hairs just have that intelligence and skill. And and that they just love to play. Yeah, they do. And when they're with their their human and they're doing something that they've been taught that they like. That's and they get to fun. run fast and jump over stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it really runs to the point of the buyer has to interview the breeder as well as breeders interviewing the buyer. 
there are breeders out there that you want to be careful that you ask the right questions and make sure you're getting the right answers so you don't find yourself with a dog that really isn't going to be comfortable in a more casual environment. And if you don't start asking the right questions, or if you find the breeder is not asking you enough questions, I'd move away and find another breeder. It's just that you're not getting enough information. Right. And I think the next piece of our puzzle here then is following along on that. It's a good segue. Talking about health requirements. What are some of the health issues in the breed? Some of the health testing that you should be asking for when you're looking for your new puppy. You can start out with what AKC has done with GSPCA, mm-hmm. with OFA in terms with of the, the chick program, the chick program mm-hmm. and the chick requirements, which are the minimal health testing requirements that are recommended by the breed club yep. and making sure that you've done hips and heart and eyes and elbows. And we have a genetic disease CD of okay. cone degeneration that okay. we want to have tested for. Okay. So those are your chick tests. Am I missing any? Hips, elbows, eyes, cardiac, and CD. I think you I got think it. I, I think, I you think got those it. are the main ones. And then there's a couple of uh, recommended ones on top yeah. of that. Yeah. Oh, there's, it, it goes on. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a significant number of tests that serve a very important purpose, but it's just as important for you to deal with a breeder who will guarantee the health of the dog. Right. And if there's a problem that's not accident-oriented but is health-oriented, that they'll take that dog back because... The breeder needs the warrant that the dogs they're selling have met all these testing requirements. You get certificates for all the OFA requirements. And if you don't have the opportunity to get that kind of information from the breeder, maybe you're dealing with a backyard breeder who's not willing to comply with the chick and the OFA requirements. Some of the health testing. So do you see any other problems in the breed that pop up that you can't necessarily test for? Do you see... I do. I mean, if we're honest, there are problems. First of all, the short hair breed as a breed has a reputation of being relatively clear of serious health issues. But... That doesn't mean that they're... Life um, happens, and I it does. it's important they're, for us to know um, that. They're God's creatures, and they're you know, biological organisms, and Mother Nature gets involved. We've seen epilepsy crop mm. up in the breed, and that is something that the researchers are struggling, struggling, struggling with yep. to find an answer to. I personally think there are different kinds of epilepsy. And that's why it's so hard to get a handle on. And we have cancers. Oh, sure. Cancers. That are, I won't say common in the breed, but there are some that that pop up. You know, we do have a variety of different kinds of cancers, like mammary cancer, hemangiosarcoma, and some stuff like that. And I've seen cardiomyopathy and heart murmurs Mm. and the subaortic stenosis. All of these things are in our breed, blessedly, at a pretty manageable level. And the responsible breeder is going to evaluate their breeding stock as they need to, to make sure that they're steering away from uh, we don't have much trouble with hips anymore, but that's because we've pretty much religiously been screening our hips for at least probably 30 years. Well, when I started, short hairs didn't have hip dysplasia. Yes. And, uh, well, yes, they did. <laughs> but it's pretty easy to breed away from it. Well, and I think that's really important when we're talking to people that are coming to look at a purebred dog. And we talk about the fact that purebred dogs are consistent. They are the healthiest 
canine colony and that we are trying <laughs> to actually make healthier dogs and that that is something that responsible purebred dog breeders have been doing for 30 40 50 years yeah I would and, say in that range yeah, yeah. And I think that it's working. And, it is. And the results are, are there. It works. It totally works. I mean, we cannot guarantee that Mother Nature isn't going to throw us a curveball. But we can feel comfortable enough with our stock that we can stand behind them. Right. And if we've taken the steps as breeders to provide information that these dogs have passed certain tests that OFA offers up, then we're on the right path to make sure it's going to be a healthy dog. But as both these other individuals, you can't test for cancer. You can't test for epilepsy right now and other issues that will crop up unbeknownst because the gene pool in the dog goes back quite a ways, and you don't know what hidden gene has been there for, and then all of a sudden it pops up and there it is. Well, and I want to make a, an observation that I heard this from Dr. Marty Greer that does True Dog Talks Veterinary Voice, and she's uh -huh. wonderful. And she makes the comment that I have kind of thought in my head, but she just spit it out. She said, the human race is the least inbred mammalian species in the world, and we have epilepsy and cancer and diabetes <laughs> and hypothyroid and whatever. Hello? <laughs> yeah. So breeding purebred dogs is not creating these problems. I think that's very important to be aware of. Right. Oh, no. If anything, it's limiting exactly the problems. But I don't think any of us are elevated enough that we can <laughs> eradicate. <No. laughs> well, and Mother Nature. It's what, you know. Mother Nature has her own plan. And uh, <laughs> all you can do is try to work within that plan. And whatever we can do to mitigate some of these problems from mitigate. not occurring. And work with ethics and responsibility. Exactly. So yeah. that when you're dealing with your increasing puppy family, mm -hmm. you're dealing as a person that can be highly respected. And I think Honestly. the greatest compliment any of us have is repeat buyers. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. Okay, so we have just a couple more minutes. In closing, the very, very, very best thing about a German short hair pointer. Your very favorite thing about your breed, what is it that makes them incredible? To me, it's their level of enthusiasm in just about whatever they do, and your ability to participate with it is just phenomenal. When I'm watching a young athletic dog race out in front of me on a horseback, I'm like, God, I wish I could do that. <laughs> That's part of what I really enjoy about the short hair. For me, I think it's the range of things you can do with the dog. They're athletic. You can do everything from, I mean, there's people that do, I think it's pronounced skijorny. Skijorny. Skijorny, yeah. Skijorny, you know, they, all the way to hunting, all the way to dog sports like confirmation and agility and things like that. And just having fun, right? Going out and just jogging with your dog and all that. The breed is versatile, not only as a versatile hunter, because that's really what it was bred for, but it's versatile as a companion, too. Absolutely. It's a combination for me of the quality of the relationship that you can have with this intelligent, athletic, up-for-anything animal. And honestly, if I could give it one word, it would be joy. 
Mm-hmm. You look at a German short here doing whatever, <laughs> sometimes what they're not supposed to be doing. There's That's that the joy. <laughs> and they exude joy and they keep us up and at it. Yeah. Well, it's really important to note that if you have a litter of eight, nine, ten puppies, one or two of those puppies is going to be meeting the level of expectation for us on a competitive environment. The rest of those puppies are going to go to homes that need to have all the different things that they can do with those dogs, from ski joring to running on a trail with them to hiking the woods and going into the beaches, all of which is the realm of a dog that really enjoys himself and enjoys being with you. That's why we're doing what we do. Absolutely. Thank you very much, lady and gentleman. I appreciate your time. Best of luck. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is g-o-o-d-d-o-g dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.